Hello, Marvelites! Welcome to a special 75th anniversary edition of This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, joined by... Marvel.com editor Ben Morse. That's right, all year long it's the 75th anniversary of Marvel, so we're going to be doing a bunch of these podcasts where we talk about different periods from the history. Today, in particular, we're going to be focusing on the Golden Age, on the 40s, on the 50s, all the early stuff, timely all that good stuff. And for that reason, we have a very special guest with us. We have uh, Mr. Peter Sanderson with us. Hello, sir. Hello. Uh, for those who might not be familiar with your work and your role in Marvel in the past, can you give a quick bio of yourself and uh, introduction to, to your place in this giant tapestry we call Marvel? Well, my place in the giant tapestry we call Marvel has actually been to keep track of the giant tapestry <laughs> that is called Marvel. Um, I grew up reading Marvel Comics in the Silver Age, and in the late 70s, I came to, moved to New York City. Mm-hmm. I started meeting people. The first person, Marvel pros I, I met were Chris Claremont mm-hmm. and his first wife, who uh, were impressed with the letters I was writing to the <laughs> X-Men. Nice. And from there, I got to meet other people, including the late Mark Grunewald, mm-hmm. who brought me on who, knowing my interest in comics history, brought me on board to work on the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. Yes. And I did worked on all the different versions of that through the 80s. And at one point in the 80s, I was an assistant editor on books like X-Men mm-hmm. and Star Wars. And I eventually became the first Marvel archivist. Nice. That's all I know, the only Marvel <laughs> archivist. But I was, in the, I was in the library room, and I was in... T- in charge of the books and in keeping track of continuity and eventually by the 90s I was starting to write books about Marvel uh, starting with Marvel Universe for Abrams and so there's something like a, a dozen or more books out there which are which I've written about Marvel mm-hmm. or I've contributed to to them or their reprints of things like the handbook that I've written yeah. and I also wrote a like, series called The Marvel Saga about yep. Marvel which I hope someday they will bring back. <laughs> I would love to see so, that. Right um, so, yeah, uh, keeping track of comics history in general and Marvel in particular, this has been my life and career and my vocation. Yes. And we're going to be drawing heavily upon Peter's knowledge throughout the year as we uh, look back at the yesteryear of Marvel. And we're going to start right at the start, um, and that is 1939, the formation of Timely Comics. Just to give a little background, uh, what was the comics industry like? When Timely emerged, what kind of what were the events that led to Martin Goodman founding this company specifically to do comics? Well, comic books were still a, a fairly young medium, although you can find you can go as far back as like the mid nineteenth century and find predecessors of modern comic books. But um, by the nineteen thirties. Uh, comic books were being published, but most of them were reprints of newspaper strips. Until uh, one came along, I think, oh, called um, Famous Funny, Funnies or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, which started experimenting with publishing new material. And so, um, and then um, DC Comics came along under one of their previous names, mm-hmm. and they came out with Detective Comics, and this was publishing new material. And this sort of thing began to take off, make money, but the killer app, so-called, mm-hmm. for, com- 
for comics was the creation of Superman, yeah. who first saw print in 1938. This was the character that seized the public imagination, and there was this... So not only were comics beginning to boom, but also you had this new idea of the superhero, and mm. lots of publishers wanted to get in on this. Now, Martin Goodman was a publisher of pulp magazines, which were... Um, which were sort of the predecessors of comics in many ways. They, they were um, magazines that, um, text stories, but often dealing with crime or adventure or fantasy. The Shadow, Doc Savage were stars of the pulps. Conan the Barbarian was created for the pulps. And Goodman was publishing pulps. In fact, one of the characters in his pulp magazines was Kazar. Mm-hmm. All right. And so when... Comic books and superheroes hit big in 1938. Goodman wanted to get in on the, the action. Yeah. So in 1939, his company, he ran a company called Red Circle, with mm. no relation to the Archie Red yeah, Circle. Was ask, yeah. And he founded a new, new comic book line, which was called, we called Timely Comics. Mm-hmm. And he hired and he hired an outside studio to do the first comics mm-hmm. for, for him, um, which inclu- and the studio employed people like Carl Burgos and Bill Everett. Mm-hmm. And so in 1939, he published the fir- first of his comics line, which was Marvel Comics Number 1, right. starring The Human Torch by Carl Burgos and The Submariner by Bill Everett. Yeah. And it all started from there. So were the Submariner and the Human Torch, they were the first timely superheroes. There were other characters from time, but they were the first timely superheroes. They were the first timely superheroes. You also yeah. have the original Angel, who was yeah. in the first issue of Marvel Comics. But yes, they were there at the beginning. The Submariner actually appeared before Marvel Comics, number right. one, in this uh, sort of comic book. There was a giveaway in movie theaters, but mm. not many people saw it. Yeah. But yes, they were the first... They were the first Marvel superheroes, and what is remarkable to me is that since everybody was trying to get in on the act and you know, copy Super, Superman's success, mm-hmm. that the initial Marvel heroes were so different. Yeah, yeah. there were nothing like Superman. No, now, the angel is actually sort the original angel is actually sort of dull. <laughs> I suspect that he was sort of inspired by the character, the saint, mm-hmm. that Roger Moore used to play on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the saint's been around for years and years and years, and because his character who calls himself in costume, but he calls himself the angel, mm-hmm. he's a crime fighter. But he's sort of uninspired. There's nothing really special about him. But the torch, I mean, like you look at say the original Captain Marvel, who was also created in 1939. Yeah. And DC and Fawcett, who were the publishers of the original Captain Marvel, had this big lawsuit because DC was claiming, well, Captain Marvel is a swipe. He flies. Yeah. He has super strength. He's invulnerable. Looks the same. All that. Yeah. Whereas what you've got is, with Marvel Comics number one, is you've got very different kinds of superheroes. They're not in any way imitations of Superman. Mm-hmm. You've got the Human Torch, who is an android, yeah. not human at all, who bursts into flame. You've got the Samaritan, who is this undersea be- being. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not like they're copying this. The Superman's powers. It's not like they're copying the idea of, oh, I'm going to be a mild-mannered reporter or whatever living in a major city. They've got completely different origins. And you can really see the start of what became Marvel's DNA with these two characters. Because if you look at the first 
Human Torch story, he's uh, it's sort of like a variation on the Frankenstein monster. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the people this artificially created man who the creator wants to, has to try to imprison because he seems like a monster. He bursts into flame. He's uncontrollable, and he bursts free. And at first, he's regarded as a menace. Yeah. And he's an anti-hero, and he, does, he doesn't fit into society. And this is the sort of thing that you know, Marvel would become known for, that sure. the, the, the superhero is outsider. And now, the human torch very quickly becomes a more typical good guy. And right. He has a kid's sidekick, yeah. he has a secret identity as a policeman, Police officer, he's right. a crime fighter. But then you've got the Samaritan. Yeah. And this is even more amazing, because keep in mind, 1939... This is the year that World War II begins in Europe. Mm-hmm. And it's only two more years before the United States is going to be in the World War II. The Samaritan is a character who is the, the prince of an undersea kingdom, an, a, a foreign country, if you will, mm-hmm. populated by real aliens. They're not human. Uh, they originally weren't called Atlanteans. Stan Lee was apparently the one who decided they were Atlanteans. Atlanteans later on but uh, Everett didn't say this in the original story but you know the 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 undersea kingdom and the Samaritan decide that they're being invaded and attacked Mm -hmm. by these people from the surface world so they in effect the Samaritan declares this one man war on the surface world the United States and New York City in particular and so, and the stories that take place. So he's a real anti-hero from our perspective, and yet he is the he is the central figure of this series. He yeah. is the protagonist. We are seeing things from his point of view. We we are w- watching him conduct this one-man war, in effect, being what we would might later call a terrorist. But you understand his point of view. You understand his moral code. But he does horrible things in New York City. There's one story later on in which he unleashes a tidal wave on Manhattan. Now, miraculously, nobody is killed. (laughs) But he nonetheless floods Manhattan. And it's like, and you know, and when Stan and Jack bring him, Jack Kirby bring him back in the 1960s, first thing he does is he unleashes this gigantic monster of the whale style beast on Manhattan. And it's like, it's like, this is really amazing. You were seeing a series about an enemy of America. Yeah. But you are, but unlike, you know, unlike the Nazis say, this is a per- person whose point of view you can sympathize with. So this is an astounding creation for its time. And for people who think that comic books are for kids, even then, no. you've got a Marvel Comics character who is, you know, cl- clearly intended to raise moral, serious moral questions. So, and also, I think that I was reading up on um, how these two characters came about, and it seems that Burgos and Everett actually got together, and they were try- throwing around ideas, what are we going to do for these right, superheroes? And they and came water. up with fire yeah. and water, and but they, they seem to be thinking of them consciously creating mytholo- mythic figures. Mm-hmm. Because Samarina, for example, I mean, he, he's got Mercury's wings on his heels. Yeah. And Everett was very clear, well, came up with the name Namor because it's Roman spelled backwards. <laughs> and it's like, not, so it's like a fire god and a water god, yeah. elemental character figures, who, of course, eventually come to clash. Yeah. Now, the Samarina, too, as the years went on, uh, well, as once America got into the war, the Samaritans started fighting for on the American side against the Nazis. But 
throughout the Samaritan's history, he's been off and on enemy of the surface world, but always the one that whose point of view you can understand. Yeah. So Marvel was always very different from the other comic book companies. Now, with, with Superman being so popular, what was the reaction to these characters that were so vastly different um, still in the superhero vein? Was it, was it a positive reaction, or was it sort of like, oh, this is, you know, how did, how did they get... Well, well, they, well, the Human Torch and the Samaritan and Captain America, mm-hmm. two years later, were the big three at Marvel yeah. Comics, the, at Timely Comics, mm-hmm. they were appear. They got their. They appearing in their own magazines. They had. They appeared in other comics that Mar- the Timely was publishing, uh, the, and they, they were the most popular characters that, that uh, t- Timely had. So obviously the response was very good. Yeah. I mean, Timely actually, you have the big three, and then the other characters for the most part. Are not as popular. Yeah. They're sort of forget. Most of them are sort of forgettable. Right. Uh, but the, the Torch and the Samaritan and Captain America are the ones who who were able to stand. You know, they weren't as popular as Superman and Captain Marvel. You know, who are at the very top. Mm-hmm. But they were pretty much standing even with the the big guns of the air, the Batman's and the Wonder Women and the mm-hmm. Plastic Man and so forth. Yeah. And of course, when Mar and uh, you know, there's significantly when Marvel Atlas tried to revive the superhero genre in the mid '50s. Briefly, mm-hmm. it was the big three that they brought back. Right. And when Stan was re- was bringing reviving the characters in the superhero genre in the '60s, you've got a Human Torch mm-hmm. and Samarina showing up in the FF, and you've got Cap following quickly yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Since you brought up Cap, I want to I want to talk about I want to jump over to him. Um, this is a story I, I, I don't know if you know this one or not because I, I had the privilege of interviewing Joe Simon before he passed away Good talking to him about the uh, creation of Captain America and I wanted to know, you know where it came from and what he told me was him and Kirby mm-hmm. did not so much create Captain America in, in terms of their process of thinking was we want to use Hitler as a villain so they actually worked backwards from there they actually came up with the cover before they came up with the character. Just they had said, we want to have a cover with our hero punching Hitler in the face, as would eventually become. And he said they had all that in place before they ever thought up, you know, Captain America, Steve Rogers, any of that. He said it was really just a matter of, you know, the war had started. This was what people wanted to see. This was kind of wish fulfillment comics right. at their height was they wanted someone who was going to go and punch Hitler. So they created a character who would be perfect for that purpose. And that is amazing. I hadn't yeah. seen heard that in an interview before. But that's one of the... That gets to what I was going to say about Captain America, who sure. showed up a few years later. Now, again, the background is that Martin Goodman was sort of outsourcing right. the comics at the very beginning, and Burgos and... I, Burgos and Everett were working for, I think it was Funnies Incorporated, mm-hmm. a studio, and there were a lot of stu- artists, comics artists put packaging stuff in studios mm-hmm. back then, like Eisner Iger, mm-hmm. for example, and Simon Kirby had a studio. And um, and the first comic that was pu- publishing new material, I think, was Famous Funnies. So, anyway, I'm sure people write in and correct this if I got that wrong. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's like, so... Then Goodman decided to 
start his his own staff to produce yeah. these things in house. So the, he hired Joe Simon as editor as the editor, in effect the editor in chief, and Simon brought in his partner Kirby, who mm -hmm. was in effect the art director, mm -hmm. the main artist there, and they hired Mr. Goodman's distant relative, yeah. that that teenager to be the the go what we would now call a gopher, or maybe mm -hmm. he was a paid intern at the time. But you know, yeah. the, this, this uh, what was he? It was like, was he 17 at the time? Yeah. The time at 1939? You know, the, yeah. this guy, Stanley Lieber. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, who was, uh, and they'd give him a, eventually, pretty soon he started writing stories for yeah. him. And he didn't want to use his real name because he wanted to write the great American novel someday, <laughs> so he used a bunch of aliases and he short. And the pen name he most often used for the comic stuff was Stan Lee. Yeah. How clever. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So uh, you've got the stuff being produced in-house. Now, we're, we're in 1941, mm -hmm. but this is before Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. And now Cap was not the first patriotic-themed no, hero. No, not at all. But keep in mind that you know, now I think many people tend to think that, well, of course, it was inevitable the United States would enter World War II. Right. And that would, but people were not always gung-ho to fight the, the Axis powers back then. There was a very strong isolationist mm. element in the United States. And, in fact, if you read, for example, about movie history of that time, the movie studios, for the most part, except for Warner Brothers, which was the one, uh, which by 1939 was... Did, I think it was 1939 that they did their first anti-Nazi movie. Mm -hmm. But the movie studios were sort of stay, st didn't want to do stories about Nazis as villains because they didn't want to alienate the German market that was still mm -hmm. buying their movies. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who want to stay out of war. World War I was like tw just a generation before, still fresh in people's memories, and that was a horrific event, and people didn't want to get involved in Europe's troubles. Mm -hmm. And so... It was actually, so again, comics, the supposedly children's medium, it was actually pretty forward-looking and pretty brave, I think, of Simon and Kirby to say, no, we're going to do. Yeah. The United States is not in the war yet. There's a lot of opposition to going into World War II. We're going to do a comic book. Mm -hmm. And their motive, as you just said, was a hero who punches out Hitler, yeah. a, a comic book that is going to, that is going to urge that the United States stop the Axis powers. Mm -hmm. And so, again, this is like, you know, on the surface, Captain America seems to be a much more, more in the mode of the conventional kind of superhero who is evolving this, uh, you know, because he is as seemingly as noble and pure as you think of the typical super, superhero, what, you know, what Superman quickly evolved into. Right. But no, this is a, this is this is sort of in its own way a revolutionary character, a patriotic hero who is designed specifically to drum up public support again, public support for stopping the fascist menace that's coming about in Europe, you know, and Captain America number one appeared with Cap punching out Hitler on the cover appeared before the Japanese attacked at Pearl Harbor. You know, the Red Skull was created before America entered the war. How how big a deal was Cap for Timely? Because I think because he's the most 
he's the character who's had the most staying power out of the big three. Yeah. Especially for those of us who have reading modern comics. So I think there's a perception that it was like, you know, Timely was chugging along for the first two years with Human Torch and Namor. And then when Cap came along, that put them over the top. Was that really the case, or were they already doing pretty well with just Torch and Namor and Cap? I'm, I'm not an ex. I don't. I'm not an expert on sales figures yeah, yeah, back yeah. then. But my, I th- think my impression is that the Torch and the Submariner were big successes for them, right. and that Cap was. But Cap probably what was a bigger success, and mm-hmm. I'll tell you why. It's because, um, even though Cap was not the first patriotic themed hero. He's the one who really set off mm-hmm. a whole, you know, sort of wave mm-hmm. of patriotically themed hero, heroes in the burgeoning superhero genre, which was ex- growing explosively by this point with yeah. all the, these different companies putting out, you know, out dozens and dozens of superheroes in the early 40s. And so, and in fact, the, just the, uh, a couple of days ago, I was reading the first several issues of USA Comics number, mm-hmm. which is another, another one of the timely early publications. And, you know, it's full of superheroes who are fighting the Nazis, right. who many of them have, uh, have pretty much, you know, like the Defender, who, who doesn't have, like, America in his name, but he's clearly a, another patriotic-styled hero who's going out to fight America's enemies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Nazis and spies and the J- Japanese agents are all over these stories. And so it's like, I think that you've got, the fact that you've got, you know, you know so you've got in the 40s, you've got, at other companies, you've got Liberty Bell and the Star Spangled Kid, and even Wonder Woman yeah. is wearing the stars and stripes. Sure, yeah, it's the flag. So it's like Captain America had this huge impact mm-hmm. on, and which, you know, Will Eisner created Uncle Sam as a superhero, taking right. the figure that already existed and saying, well, what if he was a superhero? Fight? Yeah. Um, but Captain's the one who has had the most staying power. Yeah. And it's, it's like Simon and Kirby, obviously hugely talented, but they managed to find the, this idea of the the everyman, the sort of the frail, you know, like what Clark Kent would actually look like for real. Yeah. You know, if he wasn't like trying to hide all the muscles under the Clark yeah. Kent suit. But if he really was this thin, frail, sick, sickly guy yeah. who was sort of bookish, who got transformed but who was driven by this passion for America and who got transformed, the everyman who gets transformed into the, again, the everyman, but who embodies American values mm-hmm. and who has just a perfect costume. Yeah. Well, you know, the, because everything about the stars, the stripes motif, but everything, even the, sh- the shield seems to, seems to be just this wonderful, iconic emblem. Mm-hmm. And doing the variation on the Batman and Robin hero and, and sidekick theme and, right. and again it worked really well for Cap and Bucky better than it did with all the other imitations of, yeah. the, of the hero with, with kids sidekick and again the Red Skull who was and again, now here's something too it's like the super villain hmm. was also a new creation in these hmm. years and it happened after if, depending on how you de- define super villain I mean there are people who will argue like Professor Moriarty was the first supervillain mm. or something like that. But the idea of the costume supervillain, which really started with Jerry Robinson creating the Joker in Batman number one, mm-hmm. 1940. But 1941, 
you know, superheroes are still, you know, a new phenomenon, mm -hmm. and you've got the Red Skull in the first issue of Captain America comics. And again, this seems like this perfect iconic image. Uh, this blood red death's head yeah. embodying fashion being Captain America's eternal opposite. Yeah. Which is why whenever the whenever they kill off the Red Skull in the Cox, and sometimes they mean to kill him off for real, like Mark <laughs> Grunewald and J.M. DeMattis, for example, at one point, really wanted to, they were tired of the Red Skull, they really wanted to kill him <laughs> off for real. This was back when, when characters actually would die for real in Marvel. Yeah. And this sort of thing never works, because these two are paired. Yeah. You know, as long as Cap endures the Red Skull will endure too, they are the, you know, the opposite, freedom and totalitarianism, the American everyman, and the foreign invader. Yeah. They're always going, you know, just perfect creations. And so all these other patriotic characters have pretty much fallen by the wayside over the, over the years, and Cap keeps going. Now you mentioned uh, Bucky and, you know, all that. How long did it take for Bucky to get into the picture? And then Buck, Bucky's in the first issue. He's in the first issue. He's on the cover. So then, but there He's are, in the origin story. There are a lot more, you know, teen or kid heroes that show up after that. How long did it take? Because was it the Young Allies? Yeah, the Young Allies. Came yeah. Out. Oh, I don't have the year in front of it, me. But it, it's. But 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 it's, but it's fair. But you know, teen sidekicks. I mean, they're they're like this. Again, another explosively growing phenomenon, in this case, right after the creation of Robin, because Batman and Robin was such a big success. Right. So that's why you have Cap and Bucky, but it's also why, for example, you have like the, the original Sandman, yeah. uh, who uh, we're not talking about the Neil Gaiman version, we're mm -hmm. talking mm -hmm. about the one who predates Superman and Batman over yes. at DC, who is basically sort of this... this Imitation of the Shadow and the Green Hornet from Radio and the Pulps, mm -hmm. and who you know had a fedora and a gas mask, but and he gets changed around after Batman and Robin is success, so he becomes this costume figure in tights, and you've got, and with the kid sidekick Sandy, yeah. the Golden Boy, yeah. <laughs> and, and so let's just go, you know, it's like or when I'm another patriotic hero that I mentioned earlier, like Jerry Siegel, another Jerry Siegel creation, the Star Spangled Kid and mm -hmm. Stripesy, that was. By that reverse. point, yeah, yeah. By that yeah. point, the kid sidekick was such a cliche yeah. that Siegel did the reverse, so that the main, the lead superhero was the kid, yeah, and the sidekick was was adult. It was like a, in real life, he was a, a rich kid, and and Stripes, he was his chauffeur. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, which I guess is also sort of like a, a variation on Batman and Alfred. Yeah. So it's like, uh, no, uh, and you know, you know, and you, so you get ludi even ludicrous versions of this. Like, well, you get Green Arrow and Speedy, you get. You get, uh, what was it, uh, Mr. Scarlet and Pinky. Yes. <laughs> that's a, that's a, so no, no, it's like most of what we're talking like these dozen, these scores and scores of superheroes from all these different companies being created in just you know like ha half a decade. Yeah. Really, it's yeah. like 1938 to 1944 is when mm -hmm. virtually all of them are being. You know, there's a few other Golden Age superheroes that come after, afterwards, like the Black Canary. Mm -hmm. But it's like most of them are just uh, like right before World War II and during World War II. Yeah, it's War really II. in that like two or three year stretch you get a lot of them, and then the rest of the '40s was just kind of different yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah, and, and we'll get, we'll get to that. But it's yeah. like superheroes. I think, you know, and this is not original with me. But again, look at the background out of which superheroes came. Mm -hmm. You've got the United States 
and the world sunk in depression. And if you think that the Great Recession is bad, the depression by all all counts are way, way, yeah, way, yeah, yeah, way yeah. worse, like something like a third of the country being out of work. And so, and you've also got a lot of urban crime, although mm-hmm. that's sort of more, more so associated with the 20s, say, the, the Prohibition era. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, and then you've got, you know, the threat of war brewing. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense that the figure of the superhero hit this chord in the American public, that the American public being beaten down by these forces that seem too big for any individual to control, and then you come up with these individuals, these superheroes, who actually can fight back. And so it makes a lot of sense that on the brink of World War II, Mm -hmm. you know, after, you know, like 10 years of of the Depression, you've got these, the superhero arrives and America embraces this. And it's not just kids. It's like adults are reading these. A lot of the market for superheroes in the, in the war years were soldiers, who, of course, were not that much. You know, you look at war movies and you're seeing soldiers being played by guys in their 30s and 40s who were right. way older than the actual teenagers and yeah. 20-somethings who were the actual soldiers of that, yeah. that period, and they're reading comics. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, it's like... It makes sense that the superhero came at exactly the right time when America needed these figures. You know, you know, Captain America, he's Steve Rogers, a depression kid who gets the ability to yeah. fight back against the forces that are threatening it's America. It's the ultimate wish fulfillment. Yeah. 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 You talked about moving forward. We, we, we touched on it briefly just now, moving forward after you get out of those, you know, kind of hotbed years of creation. Um, then you have a full decade of the 40s where these these heroes are thriving. Like you said, not as many new heroes are being created. They're being paired up. You get stuff like the All-Winners Squad where all of them team together. What was going on as the war ran on and as Timely continued to evolve? What did Timely become once you get past those first couple of years? Well, actually, I think there's still a lot more to talk about with the first couple of years because even though oh, you got please, the big go three, yeah. we got some other interesting characters yeah. coming. Now, I t- said that I had just been reading the first several issues of USA Comics mm-hmm. a few days ago in preparation for this. And what I was really struck by mm-hmm. was the first story about a character called Jack Frost, mm. appropriately considering the weather we have outside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, Jack Frost was one of the first creations by that office gof- teenage yeah. office gopher, Stan Lee, who yeah. was... Cre- Created Jack, co-created Jack Frost in 1941 when he was 19 years old. Yeah. And Stan's first story was actually a text feature yes. about Captain America. Yeah. And, but this was one of his first actual comic stories and superhero stories. And I'm reading this. And Well, first of all, Jack Frost, I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking that, okay, I think Stan is in a way responding to Bill Everett's Submariner. Because mm. instead of a character from the who lives underwater, the sort of water god who comes from the South Pole. Mm-hmm. We've got a god, this sort of godlike being who can create cold and ice who comes from the North Pole. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Jack Frost, he's got this sort of name out of, out of legends, mm-hmm. out of myths. So he's a mythic figure. So, okay, I was saying that Burgos and Everett were clearly intending, knew that superheroes were like this modern mythology, and Stan seems to have tapped into this too. Yeah. But also, I'm re- so I'm reading the story, and Jack Frost he come, 
comes to America and he's and he meet he's got to set up he wants to avenge the this this crime he stumbled upon and mm-hmm. he goes to these cops and he tells them I want to hunt down, down these criminals and they laugh at him they think mm-hmm. he's a guy in a costume and I'm thinking this is the sort of thing Stan was going to do 20 years later yeah yeah you know it's not like everybody says oh everybody's amazed oh look at this wonderful new superhero who's out to out to help the police. Oh well, of course we will trust him. Yeah. No, it's like, well, of course we will be in awe. No, it's like who is this idiot? <laughs> and this is a very stand thing to do. And towards the end of the story, Jack Frost lets the bang bad guy die. Hmm. It's like there, there's there's the uh, damsel in distress in the story, and she says, "Oh, you should save him." Yeah. He says, "No, he doesn't deserve to live yeah. because he's a." In effect, he's an alien being. He doesn't yeah. share human morality. But she's upset, and Stan is, okay, again, this is just the very beginning of the superhero genre. It is in a medium that's supposedly for kids, and Stan is raising this moral question. Who's right here? Right. Is it Jack Frost? Is it, or is it, the, is it the woman who's much more humane? Mm-hmm. And the police, who are now taking Jack Frost very seriously, <laughs> Yeah. are upset and they say well we've got to hunt this guy down he is in effect a murderer and yeah. I'm thinking alright and how many characters that Stan co-created in yeah. the 60's were you know outlaws outsiders wanted by the police either unf- either unfairly or unjustly like Spider-Man and the X-Men or with a great deal of reason like the Hulk and S- the Hulk it's like here we're seeing now, now again it's like Submariner was an anti-hero too, mm-hmm. and I think that Stan was clearly looking at the Bill Everett's early Submariner stories here, and doing his own variation. But nonetheless, here's Stan, age nineteen, picking up on this stuff, mm-hmm. taking it further. The seeds of what would become the Marvel Revolution of the '60s, all the way back tw- exactly twenty years mm-hmm. before. This is amazing. Yeah. Another one of Stan's characters, creations, co-creations back then, is the Destroyer. Yeah. Who is and again now he's sort of a variation on Captain America because he also gets his powers from a super soldier serum, a very a sort of variation on a super soldier serum. This is a guy who's based whereas Cap starts out uh, uh, based in America and he's basically fighting you know like the Red Skull is coming over to America right. in the early stories to raise havoc because again America's not in the war yet, so Cap is. Fi- fighting fifth columnists and spies and terrorists from abroad like the Red Skull. Um, but the destroyer, he's a guy who's over, an American who's over in Europe mm. and who gets cap made a prisoner and who get who gets, takes this in effect super soldier serum and be, becomes this costume figure, the destroyer, mm-hmm. who is fighting the Nazis on their home ground but he's but he's a ruthless figure. Mm. He's not you know he's not this good guy. He's not this again this sort of pure noble guy, idealistic guy like Captain America. Mm. He is in effect the Punisher mm. during World War Two. Right. And this is another amazing early stand co-creation that seems to foresee what's going to happen later on. Although you know again it's not the idea of this sort of ruthless character, it's just taking up what's a little bit further, because mm-hmm. it's like, 
you look at the early Superman and Batman, you know, Superman is yeah, like sure. dangling people off roofs. Yeah, they're not nice guys. Batman is used, and Batman number one is using, you know, a machine gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this gets cleaned up fast, but it also it's like, yeah, again, a number of stories I was reading for, Golden Age stories I was reading in preparation for this, the heroes, either, like, if, they, if the villain is, is like, like with Jack Frost, he'll let the villain die, won't bother to save him. Or, or in some cases, I've, I've seen you know character act, the superhero actually kill the villain. And <laughs> yeah, it's self defense, but nonetheless, yeah, you know. But again, Stan's sort of taking this further. Yeah. And there are other interesting characters who are coming up now. Now Simon and Kirby only stayed at Timely for about a year. Mm. But what an amazing year it was because they were doing like the uh, initial Captain America stories, and they yeah. were creating one of the great characters. And the superhero genre, but they're all, you know also creating other characters while they are there. That's mm-hmm. like the original Vision, mm. who was who was actually back then the original version was sort of like he was sort of like this ghostly figure, but mm-hmm. not an actual ghost. But he was a character from another dimension mm. who had seen who had ghost like powers, not actually super, not actually supernatural. I guess he had sort of a science fiction. Well, maybe it was a mystical dimension, hmm. but no, no, it was Roy Thomas later when he created the Silver Age version of Vision, who decided, okay, he's who made him into the android, who gave mm-hmm. him the real science fiction background. But you no, know, it's based on the Simon Kirby character, and you've got uh, Simon Kirby char- characters like um, Hurricane, who's supposed to be the son of Thor, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Mercury. Mm-hmm. Who's the god Mercury? Mm, yeah. And later on, I think it was Roger Stern who established in more recent decades that they were actually, he decided that they were actually variations on Makari, yeah. the eternal that Kirby created. Yeah. But you know, it's his Kirby experimenting with these godlike, char- god-like characters who become superheroes. Yeah. And again, it's a, yeah, it's you know, it's a foreshadowing of what's going to come in Marvel in the future. And then, you know, there's tons and tons of other characters. and who uh, I'm, you know, Roy Thomas revived a lot of them mm-hmm. as the Liberty Legion. You've got the Wizard, who has, of course, the most. Re- Some people say Stan was involved with his origin. Some people say he, say he wasn't. So it seems unclear. But the Wizard has, you know, the, you know, he's a variation on the Flash and yeah. and, and qualities quick. So there's a lot of super speed characters sure. coming around this era, but the Wizard has the most ridiculous origin. Right. Uh, of comic book history because he's in, he's this guy who's injected with the blood of a mongoose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like somehow, you know, being bitten by a radioactive spider, that sort of works better. Yeah, with that now sounds plausible. <laughs> but, um, I don't know, maybe it's called, so mongoose just has a silly name, or maybe yeah. it's like, okay, well, mongoose is, yeah, I mean, the, the idea in the sto- original story is that we see mongoose is fast enough that he can f- kill a cobra, and cobras yeah. are really quick. And it's yeah. like, well, it's like, no, our goose is not that fast. <laughs> yeah, you can kill cobras, but then you know it's not like super, super speed fast. It's just silly, and it's, right. it's like, I mean, the great dark secret of I think golden age. You know, it's called the golden age, and should be because of all this what a burst of creativity mm-hmm. that you've got in this period. All these characters being created, so many of whom have lasted, you know, down through the years. Mm-hmm. Or either the original version of the character, or like with Captain America or Submariner, or revamped versions like with the Human Torch and the Vision. Mm-hmm. 
But you know, so many of these the stories back then are really bad. <laughs> and even back then, and so much of the art is really crude. Yeah. But I, but you know, the stuff that you know, like Simon Kirby and Bill Everett, they're they're exceptions. Mm-hmm. And it's like just as there are exceptions at some of the other companies, you know, and Will Eisen is doing the spirit in this period, and that's a huge exception to the rule about mm-hmm. writing and drawing. But so, and so many of these characters are uninspired. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like the wizard is not as good as DC's <laughs> super speedster. Miss America, quality comics is Miss America is a better character. Time is Miss America. Well, yeah, it's nice nostalgia. Right? Well, no, she's not that interesting. <laughs> and the Defender and Captain Terror and Captain Wonder. And, oh, I came across one. The Vagabond. <laughs> who's a, he apparently is really... From the early days, apparently is really a policeman, but he dresses up as this hobo. But he actually is a hobo who's sort of like a clown, I and love he talks and already. he has this very erudite way of speaking. Yeah, and it's like so he he's dresses up as this fat homeless person who really sort of looks like a clown, <laughs> and he beats people up. I love it. And it's and he has this calls himself Chauncey something the third. Oh and my it's god, like, that's, that's amazing. Like, yeah, like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but you see, they could try anything back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like I look at this character, I'm thinking, oh, okay, I can see why this one didn't last, but then in the same but it's but then I'm thinking, yeah, but they could bring him back in like a Howard the Duck or a She Hulk story yeah. or, or Deadpool, you know, yeah, some yeah. sort of comedy series which has a high a big comedy element. Bring him back. Great. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's like on so many of these you've got the you know it was like um, you know the, the recent series of 12 yeah brought back a whole bunch of these characters sure who had <coughs> who had got more prominence with right. that series right in the end and, and again a lot, some of them are sort of lame but some of them have potential like the original Black Widow mm-hmm. who was not a Russian super spy right. but was actually this sort of like this it's sort of like a dark version of DC's and Jerry Siegel's The Spectre. Yeah. The Spectre is obvious, obviously this sort of like this ghost, like all-powerful ghost who is the hand of vengeance for God. Mm-hmm. But the Black Widow was working for Satan. Yeah, I was reading up <laughs> on her the other day, and I was it, the, the, that story was amazing to me. Was, she has this touch yeah. of death, and she goes after these bad guys and says, "Well, it's time for you to go to hell." Yeah. That's why. <laughs> She basically has powers because Satan was sick of waiting for bad guys to die so he could get their souls. She speeds up the He's process. So lazy. He's so lazy. Oh. Well, that's one of the sins. Yeah. Sloth. Sloth. Yeah. And, you know, like Electro, again, not the later, not the later monster character, not the later super, super villain who's mm-hmm. now a movie star, yeah. but the original, like the robot. I mean, it's, again, some, some early characters like Robot Man at DC, the original Robot Man at DC, and... And the Human Torch himself, who's an android, though that seems to get forgotten really quickly in the right. Golden Age stories. But nonetheless, it's like these interesting experiments yeah. with robot, artificial beings as superheroes yeah. that, that later and later uh, sort of, again, figuring the, vi- the Silver Age vision. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm trying to think of other... Some of them just have neat yeah. names like the Phantom. What with the Phantom Reporter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is a neat name. I yeah. mean, the, maybe the stories weren't all that good. I just love that. And 
that name. There's a lot of inventiveness yeah. going on. Out of there. the lesser known or lesser less well received characters, who's your favorite? Mm. Yeah, I'm really liking the vagabond. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, no, now. I'm actually gonna. I want to. I want to talk to Jerry. Uh, yeah. Jerry Dogan to see if we if there's a way to get him. Get him in Deadpool. Deadpool. He'd love the vagabond. He would love. Yeah, the, the guy who's writing Deadpool would absolutely love that character. But um. Known. I sort of like Jack Frost having read Stan's original story. Mm-hmm. I like. Um, I was reading Basil Wolverton's Rock Man. Now, do you guys know who Basil Wolverton mm-hmm. is? Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, but for those listening to the podcast, yes, you don't. Please. Oh, well, this is something I should get into <laughs> that, um, that I was thinking about on the way here. Okay, you talk about what else was going on at time besides the superheroes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Timely is actually sort of, you know, inadvertently, unintentionally, it's sort of where Mad Magazine came from. Right. Because, among other things, you've got Stan Bond. No, well, wow. well, this leads me to say where, where we left Stan, you know, <laughs> who we brought in as the, uh, the, the, the owner's distant relative who gets. gets who gets made into the gopher mm-hmm. and who apparently annoyed uh, people by bl- playing his flute in the office. Yeah. And, <laughs> yep. and it's like, but anyway, so, so Simon and Kirby leave Mar- Timely basically because they have to because, they were, because Goodman found out that they were moonlighting for DC. Mm. <laughs> but then they go over to DC where they create the the Newsboy Legion and the Guardian and um, Bad Hunter and yeah. they take over Sandman and they do do all this great stuff um, and go on to be really, really continue to have these amazing careers mm-hmm. in comics. Um, so they sort of um, I've read a source that said there actually was somebody in between right at, who was sort of acting as editor right after Simon left, but in any event. Goodman eventually says, is looking around and decides, okay, we'll make Stan. You know, <laughs> Stan's the one who's left. He's the editor-in-chief, at least for the interim. Mm. And the interim lasts until 1972. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> because Stan is only 19. He's, he's already started writing stories. Yeah. And as I point out, he's already showing, you know, great promise yeah. as a story writer. And so at 19, he becomes the editor. And except for three years when he was in in the armed forces during the war, mm-hmm. he's the editor for decades after yeah. that. So, uh, so he's presiding over all. You know, after Simon Kirby leave, he's the one who's presiding over the creation of all these characters and all these different series. But anyway, one of the things he's doing is he's buying these sort of amazing. You know, they, they, now they look very contemporary. They don't look like '40s stuff at all. But he's <laughs> doing these amazing one-page gag cartoons mm. gag, gag strips called Hey Look from this guy named Harvey Kurtzman who went to the same high school right. that, that Stan went to and we've also got this guy who's working at, for Stan at Timely named Al Jaffe mm. and he's t- he takes over now Timely is branching out into other genres uh, more so as the 40s go on but from the very start of the 40s, it turns out that time... Now, back then, you know, 
I grew up reading about the mighty Marvel bullpen. Mm -hmm. Not, and many people don't really understand what the bullpen means. That you know, the production people and the editors are here in the building. But you know, the writers and artists work at home. Yeah. But back then, in the '40s, the artists actually did work in the Marvel offices. Yeah. And the Marvel off the timely offices, they're originally in what is now the McGraw Hill building. Mm -hmm. But from, I think, 41 to 51, they were in, get this, folks, the Empire State Building, which is <laughs> yeah, great. Right, right. The Marvel offices should be in the Marvel Empire State Building, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. They really should be. <clears throat> and, it's, and again, it's like, whereas one company, which I will not name, is abandoning New York City, the center <laughs> of the comics industry. Right. I was so happy to read yesterday read last night that mm -hmm. the the big Marvel TV series for Netflix yep. are all going to be shot here because Marvel is New Marvel is New York based Marvel should never you know the studio could be out in California but Marvel should always be based in New York City and f again from the start you know whereas you know Superman City was soon dubbed Metropolis and got Batman was soon located in Gotham City and Gotham means New York but it's fictionalized it's mm -hmm. like and DC heroes were living living in all these fictional cities. Right from the start, you've got Marvel stories set in New York. Samaritan is attacking New York City. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, he hits New York City with a tidal wave. Yeah. But anyway, it's like, um, so anyway, so uh, time is in the Empire State Building. And the bullpen, apparently, apparently there were two sections of the bullpen. One was the adventure section, which was doing mm. the superhero books, and one was the animation section. Yeah. Now, which was doing the funny animal comics. And some of the funny animal comics were licensed properties. So that Marvel was doing, Timely was doing, had a license with the Terry Tune Studio. So they were doing Mighty Mouse comics. Mm. And, you know, because funny animals were also, again, comic, new material in comic books is still a a new idea, right. but Disney is already forged. You know, Disney was pi Walt Disney was pioneering merchandising these ca his characters, and so you have you know you've got you know, Carl Barks and and you know do, over doing the Western publishing doing Disney comics, and Marvel is doing the Terry Tunes comics. Mm. But Marvel is also doing has its own funny animal characters. It has Super Rabbit, mm. who is one of the one of the first funny animals parodying superheroes. Yeah. And you've got Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal, oh, who yeah. are created Wait. by Al Jaffe. Yeah. Al Jaffe is also t takes over. He didn't create it, but he also takes over Patsy Walker, mm -hmm. because Stan and Martin Goodman and Timely are also reaching out to young girl readers because right. superheroes are regarded as boy stuff for boys, and so they're creating these teen. Teen girl comics like P Patsy Walker, mm -hmm. who has been around since the '40s, and strangely enough, because of her transformation into a superhero mm -hmm. in the '70s, Hellcat, she's so been right. an enduring character too. Yeah. And this is also when so Jaffe is doing these books, and Dave Berg, another one of the longtime bad artists, was working at Timely mm -hmm. during this period. And then there's Basil Wolverton. And Basil Wolverton is later becomes known for these incredibly grotesque figures. Yeah. 
that he was doing in cartoons, the most infamous of which was uh, he entered this contest that Al Capps did in Little Abner for like, create the world's ugliest woman, so he created Lena the Hyena. And there's this famous cover of, Mad, of the early Kurtzman Mad Magazine with Lena, with, with, a, a, with a, a, fig, a face on it drawn by Walton of this incredibly right. ugly woman. And Art Spiegelman claims that he fell in love with this at a boy <laughs> he saw this cover. And for those of you who don't know, when I mentioned Kurtzman earlier, Harvey Kurtzman is the, is the great man, one of the great figures in the Cox industry who created Mad Magazine mm-hmm. in the 50s. And, but in the 40s, he was doing work for Stanley at Timely. <laughs> and so Wolverton is do, doing work for Timely too during the 40s. So he's doing this ca- character called Rockman. Mm. And again, maybe this is sort of like a variation on Submariner, because this is a guy, this is a, he- a hero who comes from, a, not from underwater world, but from an underground yeah. world. And who comes to the surface? And in the original stories, he's obviously very strong and he's very tough, but he's human-looking. Whereas in the twelve, yeah, he's actually sort of like more seems more like a thing predecessor because right. he's actually made out seems to be made out of rock. About more famously at that period, Wolverton is doing a comedy strip called Powerhouse Pepper, hmm. which was which was appear which had long run in timely com- comics. So you've got these four figures who are, one of whom, four figures who are late associated with Mad, one of whom created Mad Magazine, Mm -hmm. and one of whom, in his 90s, is still working for Mad Magazine, Mr. Jaffe. Yeah. And they're all a timely. Oh, and uh, for those of you, also, for those of you who don't know, another way in which Al Jaffe had a major impact on Marvel history is. I don't know this one. Oh, if you don't know this one, this this is, this is going to surprise you. Okay. There were um, parents of this young man out of college looking for work, hmm. and his mother knew Al Jaffe, hmm. and Al Jaffe recommended him to Stan Lee for a job at Marvel. And this young man's name, and he's too, too, like Stan, started out as a gopher, was Chris Claremont. Wow, all right. And so Al Jaffe is responsible for the X-Men empire of yeah, comics, movies, and TV shows, and whatever, as we know it today. Yeah. I knew which that is a right. pretty snappy answer to a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you've got... Great. So, yeah, so the... There's one of the things that was going on yeah. at Timely. Yeah. But, um, so Timely had the superhero books, you had the funny animal comics, right. you had the, you had the, the uh, teen girl comics like P- Patsy, mm-hmm. and along with this you have sort of, not just, you know, Patsy's sort of like the you know, high school girl growing up. Right. Somewhat older girl women characters for the female audience. Millie the model. Millie the model starts yeah. back then. Oh, and Dan DiCarlo is also working at Timely during yeah. the forties. Because if you look at those early Millie the model covers, they they look like Archie comics. Yeah, is, and yeah. You, well, DiCarlo wasn't doing it. Yeah, 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 that's right. I, know, I was looking uh, at the, the other uh, day, and I was I, I was taken aback. I was like, oh my god, this, this yeah, you're right. It's an Archie right. cover. Yeah, because DiCarlo was doing it before 
Stanley and Stan Goldberg start, yeah. became the team on Millie. Yeah. And um, also, as we get towards the end of the decade, mm -hmm. an attempt to get Blur super girls into the superhero genre, they started timely started creating romance comics. No, female not romance female comics. superheroes. Okay. No, still. I'm off. Because Simon mm. Kirby created romance comics at a different. That's time. right. Okay. No, they would do. So this is when Namora comes around. Yes. Samarina's cousin. Yeah. And when you've got Sun Girl becoming the new yeah. partner mm -hmm. of the Human Torch instead of Toro. <laughs> uh, because this is, again, try to bring in female readers. Yeah. Um, when did Blonde Phantom. Blonde Phantom is the late 40s. Late 40s, so that's all late 40s. And she's sort of superhero, but she's sort of more. It's, you know, where's, where's the dividing line because, right. between superheroes and, you know, again, because I'll. All these people are influenced by the pulps too, and the blonde phantom is this. Is basically she's got a secret identity, she's got a mask, but she her costume is really sort of like this evening gown. Yes. So she's sort of a superhero, but she's also sort of like a ma a masked figure from the pulp, yeah. a masked detective from the pulps in the tradition of, or radio, like in the tradition of the Shadow McMean Horde yeah. and those characters. Um, so it's like, well, we'll call her a superhero. Yeah. And so Stan, is, again, co-created her. Mm. Uh, it's another attempt probably to bring in female readers, young female readers. Mm. And it's John Byrne who brought her back in She-Hulk. Yeah. And it's like, I was looking over a list of timely superheroes uh, the other night, and it's like, by this point, everybody has pretty much, almost everybody <laughs> has come back from, from yeah. timely. I mean, oh, yeah. <coughs> because first it was Stan... Bringing them back in the being back a handful in the sixties, mm -hmm. and uh, you know he cre he and Jack, Jack created a new version of the Human Torch. But as the sixties went on, they did an FF annual in which right. the original Torch came back, and the, and then Roy Thomas, who was Roy Thomas was doing a fanzine alter yeah. ego, which which he still does now, yeah, uh, and, in which he was he was like one of the first scholars of the 1940s comics. Mm -hmm. And so he was bringing back characters so that he did a Samarina issue in which he brought back Toro. Yeah. And he brought back... And you know, so he created... The, he did the, the Invaders, which was sort of like a World War II version yep. of the All Winners Squad. Yeah, and that's he, got the Liberty and he brought the Liberty Legion, yeah. so he was surviving the... bringing in the Wizard and Miss America and yeah. the Blue, Blue Diamond yeah. and... and oh, and when he was doing uh, Avengers, he brought back. And well, Avengers, and Avengers right. at the end of the Kree Scroll War, yeah. Rick Jones, yeah. who's who's who's, 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 su who's been involved suddenly by the Supreme Intelligence with the potential huge psychic powers of that mankind has the potential to develop. Mm -hmm. So he's sort of like a Phoenix level powers yeah. at this point. And so since he's written by Roy Thomas, <laughs> he decides to create all these. All these doppelgangers yeah. of Golden Age heroes, some of whom readers already, 60s readers knew, like Cap and Submariner and the Torch, but also there's the original Vision and there's the Finn, which is mm -hmm. another undersea character that Bill Everett created. Yeah. And it's like, Ad Roy also was in the Silver Age, he was like the, with the Vision and the Black Knight, he was creating new versions, Silver Age versions of characters in the 40s and the mm -hmm. 50s. And in the Invaders, he brought in even more. He had a new version of the Destroyer, for example, mm -hmm. and he was. And then Byrne brought in, brought in the, the Blonde Phantom, mm -hmm. and then, you know, around Marvel's seventieth anniversary, right. 
much to my delight, Marvel was bringing in even more characters yeah. from for the Gold Age. So it's it's really neat. I mean, it's it's the stable is not as impressive as overall mm-hmm. as like the DC stable from the forties, but it's still but it's it's got a lot, it's got some great characters mm-hmm. and it's got a lot of interesting characters that you can still still do stuff. Yeah, they have potential. They have potential. A lot of potential. Uh, now, as the forties wore on, now after the war, after World War Two ended, superheroes began to fade. Right. Now there's there are the big three at DC who kept on Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, who kept on being published in their own books continuously. Right. But for everybody else, whether it's DC or Fawcett or Quality or Timely, every everybody else was starting to fade. Mm-hmm. And the question is why? Now I think part of it was that it was a, that superheroes initially were a fad. Now it turned out that superheroes were an enduring genre, who have not, and the superhero genre has has now been around for seventy five three quarters of a century. Yeah. But initially it seems to have been a fad. Now maybe that's because there were just so damn many of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because you had all these different companies. I mean, timely DC, timely. Well, DC was back then. It was like all American detective right. comics that eventually. DC itself was four. like seven different companies. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it was seven. It was a few. But it was a few. All American and detective being the big, the big yeah. ones that that eventually merged, and then they were known as National. It's yeah. not till like the seventies that it was. Even though they had DC as a symbol, mm. it was not till the seventies that DC became officially took the name DC Comics. Just as a. <laughs> You know, Stanley was just a pen name until Stan finally made it official a few yeah. decades ago. Um, but, you know, you had those four companies, but you also had all these other comp- smaller companies that were, do- that were do- doing superheroes. And, you know, everybody, you know, scores of superheroes. So, I mean, you had to weed them away, but, you know, weeded way away mm-hmm. by the end of the 40s. Yeah. And so um, I think the last. Human Torch and Submariner stories were in 1949, mm-hmm. and, and the last Caps story was in 1950. Yeah, you know, before the the attempted revival in 55, which lasted less than a year, and because yeah. they really didn't come back till the timely, the big three of timely really didn't come back till the 60s. Yeah, but it's like, so part of it I think was a fad. Part of it I think was overexposure of superheroes. Mm-hmm. There were just too many of them, and people got tired of them. And another th- another factor may may have been that another factor may have been that a lot of the audience for the superhero comics were soldiers mm-hmm. during the war, and by the end of the war they came home, they got married, they started families, they got older, and I I know that for today's readers, you know, it's like I'm well into middle age now, I'm still reading superhero comics, but. You know, when I was in high school, I was my friends were telling me I was too old to be reading <laughs> superhero comics, and it's like comics were considered a kids' medium, right. and as some people point out, not just a kids' medium, but a medium for stupid kids. No. <laughs> and the, I, this is very unfair, I know, but it's like so. And most, well, as I said, most golden co- age comics were not good. <laughs> you know that you know kids would have loved them, but you. Most of, most of those comics you really would outgrow. Right. Yeah, you wouldn't outgrow like the eyes and the spirit. If you had taste, you wouldn't outgrow looking at Simon and Kirby stuff. <laughs> right. But most of the stuff you would outgrow. Yeah. And so, 
so that was a factor. People outgrew the stuff. People who had been reading them, they got married, they had kids of their own, they were busy with their jobs, their interests turned to other things. By the end of the 40s, beginning of the 50s, you had television coming along. Mm -hmm. It's like, so just as the, you know, comics were selling hugely back then. I mean, you know, hundreds and thousands, and it's like the top selling comics would sell millions. It's mm -hmm. like, it was like, it's like, it's like, um, and comic strips in the newspapers were much bigger back then, too. I mean, in the pre-TV era. But it's like, things were fading. And um, so, overexposure, people getting older, people getting tired of the material, people outgrowing the material, all these different factors. And so, Goodman and Stan, they were, you know, looking for other th things to keep comics going, other markets, other genres, you know, with it, again, today, even though we've got, you know, independent alternative companies are doing comics in all sorts of genres, but the big two, DC and Marvel, are doing, are, you know, they special. Superheroes are still their main specialty. But comics back in the 40s and the 50s and into the 60s were diversified in many different genres. So that early 40s, you've got Marvel's doing the superhero comics and the funny animal comics, but they're going, doing more and more genres as the 40s go on. So they've got the teen girl comics, they've got the, the million model style, style uh, young working woman comics. You've got, but they're moving into westerns. In fact, even in Marvel Comics number one, you've got one of the first ca characters in there is the Masked Raider, who I can, mm -hmm. who's Timely's first western character. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you've got Kid Colt and the Rawhide Kid coming along, who have been around for decades. Uh, you've got, um, and as we get, and as we get towards the end of the forties, and we get into the fifties, we're getting crime comics, mm -hmm. and we're getting horror comics. So that the last two issues of Captain America's series in the night in nineteen fifty. Yeah. have been renamed Captain America's Weird Tales. Yeah. And he's basically the host. It's like, yeah. he's the crypt keeper. Yeah, I was just going to say that, yeah. Before, and, and then it just ends. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, this, and this is the new big thing. Lots and lots of people are doing crime and horror comics by the end of the 40s. And in the 50s, things go bad because of all this. <laughs> Because you have Dr. Wertham, who Stan was opposing right, right along. But uh, you've got Dr. Wertham, and you've got S Senator Estes Kifoffer, and you've got lots of people who have decided that, hmm, the problem of juvenile delinquency, these, these teenagers turning to crime, and no, they're no longer employed by, you know, being soldiers in World War II. What could be the cause of this? Well, let's see. They all... All, teen, all these teenagers are reading comic books, which, as has been pointed out, you could just as easily say all these teenagers were drinking milk. When they <laughs> That's to blame. But, but it must be these crime horror comics and these horror comics, and so this leads to the investigations of comics in the 50, congressional investigation of comics. You've got Dr. Wertham's book, Seduction of the Innocent. Mm -hmm. you've, got the, you've got book burnings of comics, and you've got, and so you've got um, this this furor against comics in, in the early 50s which leads to 
lot comic companies to closing down, like EC Comics, the original, pu the publishers of Mad. Yeah. Mad is the only thing. Kurtzman's Mad, the only thing that keeps going. But, um, and you've got lots of people who left the business at that point, uh, who never to return. Mm -hmm. Even Marvel itself, then known as Atlas, you know, mm -hmm. having trouble there. There are at least two points I know of where Stan's the only person in the office. Yeah. <laughs> Has to let everybody else, you know. So the days of the, of the mighty Marvel, the mighty timely bullpen. Mm -hmm. All those artists working the Empire State Building. Well, they're not in the Empire State Building anymore. Right. And Stick Goodman is telling Stan to let everybody go. <laughs> <coughs> so, um, so you see, just as at the with Marvel Comics number one and Stan's initial stories, you see the seeds of the Marvel Revolution of the '60s to come. By the end of the '40s, you see the seeds at Timely of what's going to imperil the whole comics business in the '50s. Right. Very cool. I think we'll leave it there. Yeah, um, and we'll we'll pick up the next episode with uh, that list, and then into the Marvel. Yeah, we're gonna have Peter back throughout the years, and of course, if you guys uh, have questions for us to ask Peter or to discuss on our own, you can reach us on Twitter uh, at Marvel and use the hashtag Marvel seventy five. That's what we're doing for all our Marvel seventy fifth anniversary stuff. Peter, we want to really thank you for coming down. That was and awesome with us. <laughs> yeah, I was like. I, a lot of that stuff, um, you know, I knew some, but it was just like, yeah. it's awesome. Hearing it like that is, yeah. is awesome. It's great. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it, and we will have Peter back. So, uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying the 75th anniversary of Marvel, and... This is Marvel, your universe. <laughs>